0: Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. It says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother in law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. That's as far as we're going to get tonight in this passage. But what I want to do is remind you of when we were last together. We saw last time we were together that when Jesus healed people, in each instance there was a purpose and a reason. He was teaching people with the healing. You remember, in each healing, and that's what we're going to notice as we continue through Matthew, there's a lot more healings to come. We keep looking for a formula for healing, and there isn't one. And that's going to become even more clear tonight. We also saw that there is no, like I said, formula to give us the power to make Him heal when we want Him to but that we also miss out on much that He desires to do because we don't ask. And we we dealt with the fact that God does heal. We're going to talk about that some more tonight as well, that God does still heal. He still does the miracles. But we have to be careful of trying to look for in the scriptures the secret formula for healing. All right. Now, in our passage for tonight, though, we see Jesus go to Peter's house and He heals Peter's mother-in-law. And all He does is just touch her hand and her fever left her. And notice that she didn't start to feel a little bit better. She was instantly healed. She was so instantly healed that she had the energy to just rise up and get to work. Now, there was a lady last, uh, last night who brought out this awesome point, And she said, we can kind of see something in here that when God does what he does in our hearts, it's so that we'll get to work kind of a thing. And I thought, you know what, that's another whole t- way we could take this passage. But that's not where we're going to go tonight. What I want to talk to you about, though, is that when God heals, he does it miraculously. As some of you know, I've been struggling for the last month plus with my back, and uh, I've got a herniated disc between my L5 and S1, and it's causing sciatic pain to run down my leg, and, and I'm getting better, and uh, um, I'm on pain pills and muscle relaxers and just finished prednisone, and uh, I go to physical therapy and all that. Well, this isn't the first time I've been through this. I've actually had this herniated disc for years, and about nine years ago, I actually uh, was about to have surgery, went through all the steps with therapy and trying to get it. They even gave me the injections of the steroids to try to make the swelling go down and the pain go away. And and finally, it gets to the point where they decide the only way I'm going to get better is if I have surgery. And I'm in the surgeon's office in the last meeting right before the surgery. And while I was in the surgeon's office and he was just scheduling everything, God by His grace, I wasn't praying, I wasn't asking, I was decided. I mean, it was time to have surgery. God healed me. I was in His office and I literally was just sitting on the table and I felt His power and His, it was like a warmth that just went through my whole body and instantly my back was better. And not only, I mean, you have to realize, uh, because of the, the problem with my leg, my right leg had gone dead. It, you know, they go numb a little bit and then you lose your strength. And I couldn't even do a calf raise at that time because I had just no strength in the leg. And I told the doctor, I said, "Hey, Doc, the Lord just healed me. I mean, he healed me. And the doctor goes, he wasn't a believer. He goes, well, if you think it's getting a little bit better, let's not do surgery. I go, it's not getting a little bit better. Watch this. Look at this. I can, I can move again. And, 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 and he examined me and he says, yeah, I guess so. And praise the Lord, I didn't have to have surgery. But at the same time, I'm going through it again, nine years later. It's not as severe as it was that time. That time I couldn't, find a, I couldn't get a position that i get comfortable sitting, standing, laying. What It didn't make a difference. At least now I can find comfort here and there. But I just share that with you because our instant brain is, well, let's get him to do it the way he did it last time. And as you're going to see tonight, God doesn't always do it that way. And he has his purposes and his plans. And we have to be willing to be in each situation saying, Lord, what are you doing here? But don't ever get to the point of believing that he won't heal or he can't heal because he still can. So that night, they also brought to Jesus people who were sick and he healed them. He also cast demons out of people who were oppressed by them. Now, I'm just going to say a few things to you. And I want to kind of lay this out for you scripturally to kind of help it sink in. Sometimes sickness is tied to demons. Plain and simple from Scripture, and I'm going to show you some passages that deal with that. Sometimes sickness is tied to demons. Other times it's not. Most of the time, if there's demon oppression, it manifests itself in mental struggles and dangerous behavior. You see that in the Scriptures as well. And let me just say something real quickly. You all do understand that you can invite Jesus into your heart and your life, right? You can also invite the evil forces as well. And that's why I always tell people, don't be playing with tarot cards and Ouija boards and all this kind of stuff that people think is harmless, because all you're doing is working your way down to open yourself up to the forces of evil in the spiritual realm. And you can invite evil spirits in as well. Now, I'm going to show you scripturally tonight as well, that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot be possessed by a demon. But you can still be oppressed even though Christ is in you. Now, ultimately, though, all sickness, disease, and death can be traced back to Satan. You all understand that, right? The fact that we even have death and sickness and all that kind of stuff is tied to Satan and his plans back in the garden. Go with me uh, to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and look at verses 15 through 17. And by the way, with this new setting that we have here in this room... If there are any time you might even feel more comfortable that you have a question or whatever, just raise your hand and and, uh, we'll deal with it. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, the scripture says, The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it. Don't miss that. To work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, God makes Adam, puts him in the garden, tells him, I want you to go to work. I want you to be in charge, your work in the garden. Uh, and you can eat any of, of any of these trees. There's only one tree, I tell you, don't eat of that one tree. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, we know the story. Satan comes on the scene after he's been created and, and, uh, and tells him, hey, if you eat it, you get to be God. You get to be like God. You get to choose right and wrong, good and evil and they disobey God, and obey Satan, and they eat. Did they die that day? Because we see from the Scriptures, they just keep on living, making babies, and so on. Did they die that day? Yes, Yes, they did. Jesus said, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And they did. At that moment, they were separated from God. And the word death, if you do a study of Scripture, the word death means a separation. The book in the book of James it says as the body or the soul separated from the body is dead the bible also says faith without works is dead it's separation is what the word means that's why the bible talks about spiritual death there's a second death there's a physical death and there's a second death and that's when you die when you well the best way to put it to is this way we're all born physically Because of sin we die spiritually and then we die physically and if we die in that condition where we're spiritually still dead, we are in Revelation chapter 20, the Bible says, those who are still dead in their sins are going to be brought back from the places of holding that they're in. Some are in Hades and so on and they'll stand before the great white throne and then they're cast into the lake of fire, which the Bible says is the second death. They were dead spiritually, they died physically and then they died again because they're brought into the presence of God They were judged and removed from his presence. Now, Adam and Eve were given dominion over the earth, but they subleased it, if you will. They gave dominion to Satan, and he became the prince of the power of the air. And because of that, as I'm about to read to you, look at Genesis chapter 3. Consequences came because of this sin, and they, well, let me just read it to you. In Genesis chapter 3, look at verses 16 through 19. God says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. There was going to be some, but now it's going to be a lot. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That talks about the battle of the sexes that's going to be going on. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Not only did they die spiritually on the day they eat of it, like God said, you shall surely die, they began to die physically. And struggle, thorns, thistles, all these things, increased pain, all of the struggles in this life, have come because of Satan and sin. Now, I'm going to say something re- to, re- to you real quick, something I preached on this past Sunday at First Baptist in the Atlantic, because I preached on the fact that male and female were made in the image of God. I believe the Bible kind of hints at the fact that Adam and Eve had a glow, had a Shekinah glory when they were created in God's image. Because the Bible says that they were both naked and felt no shame. But then after they sinned, the scripture says they then realized they were naked. Now, when I was a teenage boy, I used to always read that and think, I'm pretty sure that if I was in the presence of a naked girl, I would know. (laughs) And it always bugged me. How how would they be in naked and not realize it? And then all of a sudden they go, we're naked. I actually believe. And I think scripture kind of points to that. And I'm not going to spend too much time showing you this. But I think that when they were created in the image of God, they had a Shekinah glory that was such that they didn't really even notice that part. But the moment that they died spiritually, they lost that. Let me ask you a question. When Moses, according to the scripture, spent 40 days just in the presence of God, what happened to him? He had to wear a veil because he, he actually started to glow, just a reflective glow from being in the presence of God. The Bible actually says that and if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, near the end of the chapter, it talks about with what kind of bodies you were going to get. And it talks about earthly bodies have a type of glory and heavenly bodies have a different type of glory. So go ahead. You want to say something? Um, I compare it to the innocence of kids because they'll run around and they're naked and you <laughs> tell them later on you can't do that and they don't understand it's it. so definitely tied to that as well so you can have yep. that at any age if, yep. I mean we look at dogs and cats and having animals and we don't think nothing about it right that, there's a lot to that difference there I mean it, the innocence I mean when a child loses Yep. I I think that's part of it. I definitely think that that would be part of it. But I can say scripturally, I still think that if Moses glowed from being in the presence of God for just 40 days in this kind of a body, I think Adam and Eve had that kind of a glory, but they lost it. And from that point, don't miss where we're going from that point forward, death, physically sickness, struggle, increased pain in childbearing. Now you're gonna, he was already told he's gonna work the ground, but now it's gonna fight him. There's gonna be a struggle. So, all of this that we're dealing with, demons and sickness and all this stuff, and it's all tied to Satan ultimately. Yet, we don't wanna ever think that it's his fault and not ours. Go to Luke chapter 13. In Luke chapter 13, look at verses 10 through 17. It says, Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant, can I say it indignant because of Jesus had healed on the Sabbath said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, look closely, whom Satan bound for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Look how Jesus described her situation. The scripture says she had a disabling spirit and Satan had her bound for 18 years. So everybody that has trouble walking and is bent over because they're they're, there. Is that because Satan's got them bound and they got a disabling spirit? No. Be careful. I'm going to keep showing you more scriptures and then you're going to see this whole topic of sickness and healing and all that stuff is way deeper than we could ever figure out. Let me show you another example of that. Go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, look at verses 34 through 38. Jim, are we going to go to the book of Job? Oh yeah, we'll get there. (laughs) Go to Acts chapter 10. Go to Acts chapter 10, look at verses 34 through 38. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of the peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Again, here it ties their sickness and those who were being oppressed by the devil, but even their sickness, how they were oppressed by the devil. Ultimately, all sickness is tied to Satan. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, but there's so many different levels. There's so many different reasons for why things are going on. We'll jump to what you just brought out. If you think in the book of Job, when the sicknesses came to his body and the boils and all this stuff that happened, was it because Job had sinned? No. Now, but let me, let me ask you, is some peop- are some people sick because they sinned? Yes. The Bible even talks about that in the book of James, chapter five, that if you go to the elders and have them pray for you, anointing you with oil, and then it says, if they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. If they, the, a lot of times sin is tied to it. There are some people that the moment that they finally forgive somebody, that whatever physical ailment they had is released. But that doesn't mean that if you have a physical ailment that you haven't forgiven somebody. You see, there's a danger that we get into where we start to become like Job's friends. Job's friends all spend the whole book of Job explaining to him how they've got it all figured out. And this is what's going on. And this is why this has happened to you. And folks, don't go down that road, because as you have already seen, there's lots of reasons why this is happening. And sometimes it's because of sin. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's because God is doing something and he allows Satan to have some leeway. Other times it's because that individual hasn't invited invited Satan and his minions into their life. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verses 7 through 10. Paul just talked about himself. He didn't describe it as himself. He says, I knew someone, whether in the body or out of the body. And he says, so to keep me, he talked about how he got to see the third heaven, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... "'A thorn was given me in the flesh, "'a messenger of Satan, to harass me, "'to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, "'that it should leave me. "'But he said to me, "'My grace is sufficient for you, "'for my power is made perfect in weakness. "'Therefore I will boast all the more gladly "'of my weaknesses, "'so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. "'For the sake of Christ, then, "'I am content with weaknesses, insults, "'hardships, persecutions, and calamities. "'For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Now, we don't know what Paul's thorn was. And there's lots of debate and lots of people have all have got their theories and they got it all figured out. Let me tell you, stay away from that, too. You don't know what Paul's thorn was. Oh, Jim, I know what it was. Look at this verse and look at that verse. And then someone else will say, yeah, but look at this verse and look at that verse. And ultimately, i got to be honest with you, I've studied this deeply. I've had my theories. And the more I study it, the more I come to realize we don't know. And he wants it that way. Exactly. But we do can learn something from this passage. God allowed Satan to do what he does, just like in the book of Job, to whatever limit God allowed. And as much as Paul prayed that it would go away, whether it was a physical ailment or an individual that was harassing him or a situation that wouldn't leave, we don't know what it is. God, for his purposes, said, I'm not going to remove it. It's going to keep you humble. It's going to keep you before me. Does anybody know about John chapter 9? In John chapter 9, we're not going to take the time to turn there. In John 9, we have the story where this man had been born blind. And he'd been that way for like 38 years. And the disciples come and they say, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because see, the Pharisees taught that if you're sick, it's because of sin. And they're partially true, but not always. And so their thinking was, if this guy was born blind, he had to sin in the womb. Or his parents sinned. And do you remember what Jesus said? This isn't tied to their sin or his sin. This is for my glory. Are you starting to get a picture of the fact that this whole thing of sickness and the healing and death and miracles is a little bit bigger than we are willing to admit? We all still want to be God, folks. We still in our flesh want to be God and we want to figure it out. And we want to find the formula. And unfortunately, there are too many Christians that are running around out there who think they have God figured out. And they start preaching to the others about. I've had people say to me a few times, if I had a cold, if you had enough faith, you wouldn't have that cold. You'd be amazed at how many people. And we're going to go a little bit further. But before I do, let me also say this to you. Don't ever think for a second that if someone is not healed, that Satan is more powerful than God. Don't go down that road. Let me show you what I mean. Go to 1 John. You're in 2 Corinthians. Go to 1 John chapter 4 and look at verse 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. By the way, that's further scriptural evidence. There's a lot more than that. But that's one of the scriptural evidences that if you are a believer in God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself lives in you, you cannot be possessed, indwelt by a demon. You can still be oppressed, but you cannot be indwelt by another. You know why? Because what was the reaction of the demons every time they came in contact with Jesus? They didn't want anybody anywhere near. They didn't And greater is he who is in you. And Jesus himself said, and I'm going to show you that passage in just a second. Well, actually, I'll take it to you there now. Go to Luke chapter 11. Go ahead. Oh, they knew who he was. Yeah. Luke chapter 11. Let me show you something else that's going on here in this whole situation. This whole topic of healing. In Luke chapter 11, look at verses 14 through 23. In Luke chapter 11, look at verse 14. Now he, this is Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke. And the people marveled, but some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will this kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, or the prince of demons. If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by who do your sons cast them out then? Therefore they'll be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. And then he goes and says, whoever's not with me is against me. Whoever doesn't gather with me scatters. So look at what Jesus was saying. He says, one, another reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I'm casting out demons and healing sicknesses, is to demonstrate to you that someone greater than Satan is here. In all your lives, you've been under his Power and his authority because he's the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And he's been given some authority and some leeway for a season. And oh, by the way, the scripture says he still has. Even though Jesus defeated him on the cross, is Satan totally bound right now? No, that's not going to happen until the millennial kingdom. And actually, the book of Hebrews actually says, even though everything's been subjected to Jesus and everything's been laid at His feet, at present we do not see everything subjected to Him. Why? Because God still is allowing Satan to do what He does. Again, like we see in the book of Job, He sets the parameters, but He has His purposes and His reasons. So there's nothing wrong with if you are going through a sickness or a struggle to do a sin checklist and say, Lord, is this tied to my sin? So I can acknowledge it, confess it, repent from it and then be healed and have you fix the situation. Sometimes he'll say, though, after you prayed and prayed, I have a greater purpose and I'm going to leave it. Sometimes he may choose just by his grace at his time when he chooses. I don't know what he was doing in the life of the doctor, but I sure liked what he did when he healed me in the midst of that doctor's office. But I wasn't even asking him. Did Peter's mother-in-law ask him to heal her? He just noticed that she was there with a fever, touched her hand. Most of us would go, got to put your hand on her forehead. That's where she's hot. He just touched her hand. She was healed. The woman with the robe. robe. Folks, let me just say this to you again, because I have to go somewhere tonight. Because in our passage, go back to Matthew chapter 8. I want you to hear this. Do not and avoid those who think they have God. Do not think for yourself and avoid those who think they've got God figured out. And they've got this whole thing of healing into a formula. In speaking, look at Matthew again in chapter 8. In, Jesus, in speaking of Jesus' healing here in verses, uh, keep, we'll start in verse 16. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, what we're going to do in the time we have left tonight is we're going to take a look at where Matthew quotes from here. Because in doing so, I'm going to show you a famous passage that has been quoted by most Christians, or not most, many Christians for many years that has been used in the wrong context. doesn't match up with scripture, but I promise that every single one of you have heard Christians say this phrase. He quotes from, does anybody know where he quotes from here when he says he took our illnesses and bore our diseases? Isaiah 53. Go with me to Isaiah 53. He's quoting from verses 4 through 6, mainly verse 4. Go with me to Isaiah 53 and look at verses 4 through 6. Famous passage about the suffering servant that's going to come and take the sins of the world. And Isaiah 53, look at verses 4 through 6. By the way, does anybody see that passage that's been quoted over and over when it comes to healing? Some of your translations say stripes. We've always heard the Christian saying, by his stripes we are healed. And they'll say to you that because Jesus died on the cross and he took all the penalty of sin and one of the penalties was sickness, because of Jesus' death on the cross, we can be healed in this life. Because by his stripes we're healed. Anybody here never heard anybody say that? We've all heard it. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to take a look at the context here of Isaiah. We're going to, again, like I've been trying to teach you for years, you build your theology from the whole of Scripture, not from one verse. Because God wrote the whole book, and if one verse appears to say something, but it doesn't match up with the rest of Scripture, can't be a correct interpretation. First this is, again... All of these are tied to our sin, which Jesus took. Look at verses 5 and 6 again. It says, but he was pierced for what? Our transgressions. Don't miss that. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought, him, brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. By the way, a lot of people over the years have said, man, I don't like the Jews. They killed Jesus. <laughs> you killed Jesus. I killed Jesus. He was put to death because of my sin, because of your sin. Now. Go to Romans chapter five. Like we've already said, Adam sinned in the garden and his sin, sin nature and the, and the problems with it passed on to all of us. Go to Romans chapter five. And look at, we're going to start in verse 12. Paul says in verse 12 of Romans 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Let me stop for a second. What was the sin that Adam committed? Disobedience, pride, keep going. But what did he do? He, he broke a commandment. He, 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 God said, don't eat from this tree. He ate from that tree. Now, the law, we don't have any other commandments besides fruit, be fruitful and multiply. The, we don't see any other commandments from God until the time of Moses when the law is given. But how do we know then that Adam's sin passed on to everybody? You just read it here. They died. The Bible says the soul that sins, it shall die. They, people die spiritually when they sin. And at the same time, the cause of sin as our bodies go back to the dust. And Adam said, sorry, Paul says here, look, Adam's sin passed on to to all mankind. And you want evidence of it? Even though there was no commandments to break, there was still sin in the world because everybody died from the time of Adam all the way until the time of Moses. People don't acknowledge it because when there's no law they don't recognize that they're sinning. Let me ask you, When those of you that have raised kids, did you have to teach them to say mine? Did you have to teach them to bite? Did you have to teach them to hit? Did you have to teach them to throw a fit whenever they didn't get what they wanted? It's in all of us, folks. But now some people, I heard this said years ago, uh, Adrian Rogers was preaching one time, and he made this statement, and it was powerful. He said, I've run into people that say, I don't like the fact that Adam's sin passed on to me, and I'm now accountable because of what Adam did. I didn't vote for him. <laughs> and Adrian Rogers says, you better rejoice For the fact that Adam's sin has been passed on to you and you're accountable for what Adam did. Because if you can be made guilty from one man, you can be made righteous by one man. And that's what Paul goes on and says. Keep reading in verse 15. But the free gift, salvation, is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, it's one of those passages we're going to really dive into on the cruise coming up, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Then he goes on and says the law only came to have the trespass increase because, as you all know, once you say don't do it, now we really want to do it even more. So look at what is going on here. Adam came and he sinned and that sin passed on to all mankind. Jesus comes on the scene and he's obedient, fully obedient to the father And through that one man, we can all be made righteous. So what was Jesus doing when he came and he suffered and bore our sins and took our sorrows? What was he doing? Definitely what we couldn't. But what was he accomplishing? Making a way for us to be made what? Righteous and holy and right before God. Now, as you're about to see, go back to Isaiah chapter 53. The whole context of Isaiah 53 brings this out. Jesus' death on the cross wasn't about making it possible for us to be healed physically in this life. Was that why he came? No. No. Look, Look here again. Look at Isaiah 53 again in verses uh, 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By the way, Romans 5.1 says we're at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look over at verses 11 and 12 though. So again, the purposes of Jesus' coming, being fully obedient, dying that death on the cross, rising from the dead by his own power, was to make us right before God and to heal us. You all said it at the beginning. Jesus, oh, sorry, well, Jesus said it because he's God, told Adam, On the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. But by his wounds were healed. Is he talking physically? Not at all. The context of this actually shows that it's a spiritual healing that we receive. It's to make us holy. It's to make us righteous before God. And again, like I said, you don't build your doctrine on just a verse. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 and tell me if this doesn't sound familiar. Keep a finger in Isaiah 53. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at verses 24 and 25. Don't you love them much more? Too? Like- oh. Yeah, you go on the cruise. You'll really get into that with us. We're going to dive into all the much more passages. First Peter, chapter two, look at verses 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Sounds like what we just read in Isaiah 53, isn't it? By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like he quoted verses 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions of Isaiah 53. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, requotes that section and points it out that by his wounds we're healed means we have been set free from sin. We've been made righteous. That's the point of the passage that says healing. And what we're going to do in the time we have left is I'm going to also double check this interpretation against the whole of Scripture. Because as you're about to see, there are tons of Scriptures that actually show that even though we are born again spiritually, even though we have been given life spiritually in this body, the Bible teaches that some of us, maybe many of us, will not experience healing but actually we'll suffer in this life, in our bodies, until we get to heaven. Does God heal? Yes, we've seen it over and over. Does he have the power? Of course. But don't ever fig- to think you can figure out when and how. Because the scripture actually says sometimes, and you're going to see it, I'm not going to take that away for my purposes. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Look at Philippians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21. Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. When's he going to transform our bodies? When we when we get to heaven, we're awaiting the Savior. And when that time comes, he's going to transform our bodies. Let me ask you a question. When you got saved and you were born again spiritually and made alive spiritually at your at your salvation, did you immediately lose 15 pounds? Did your cholesterol drop? It had no effect on your flesh. Jesus' death was for our spiritual condition. Don't try to add anything more to it. Does he heal? Yes. Does he have power over Satan? Of course. But by his wounds we are healed. has nothing to do with the physical. has everything to do with the spiritual according to the scripture. And keep reading. I'm going to show you some more. Go to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, look at verses 18 and following. Remember, Paul had been able to see heaven. He'd already seen heaven. He wasn't allowed to talk about it. But it says, for I consider, Romans 8 verse 18, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Do you see it? Look at what Paul says. He says, the suffering in this life isn't worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. And then he uses what happened to creation. By the way, when was creation subjected to futility? When Adam and Eve sinned, right? We read it in Genesis chapter 3. By the way, creation being subjected to futility was as a result of their sin, correct? Correct. Well, how come the world's all we're a sudden, we're not having, we should not have any more thorns or thistles because Jesus died on the cross? Is that what we're seeing in this world? No, things are still rusting. The weeds are still growing. Kudzu is taking over the South. But that was a part of the, the consequence of sin, was it not? But that theology of by his wounds were healed... That says, because he died on the cross and he defeated sickness, that means that you can be healed and everybody can be healed if they just believed enough. Should also, they should be out there saying, guys, the world's getting better because Jesus died on the cross. You would just pray that those weeds would get out of your garden. They don't have to be there anymore. Jesus (laughs) died on the cross. That's what they're preaching. That's what they're preaching. But actually, he says, no creation knows. That They're going to be redeemed after the sons of God are revealed. And we who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly waiting until what Jesus did on the cross has an effect on our bodies. When we get our rapture and our get our new bodies. And why is creation waiting for that? Because creation knows they're next in God's order. Uh, if you've heard me say this before, if you haven't, let me say this to you quickly. There were three laws of redemption in the Old Testament. There was a law of redeeming the bride. Leveret marriage in Deuteronomy chapter 25. If a man died and he had no children, his brother was to take his wife and produce children. And it was the, the Ruth and Boaz story. When Jesus died, he redeemed us spiritually. We became the bride of Christ. There was also a law of redemption. If you had a slave, the slave could be redeemed. After so many years, the slave could be set free. And the Bible says that our bodies are still slaves to sin. Even though we've been set free spiritually, we're still slaves to sin. And we have to choose whom we're going to obey, whether it's our flesh or whether it's the spirit within us. And we're going to get our new bodies at the rapture. That hasn't happened yet. His redemption has been paid for and purchased. Yet we at present don't see everything subject to Christ. But at the rapture... We're going to get our new bodies and the slave will be set free. Oh, and there's a third law of redemption, and you'll find it in Leviticus chapter 25, the law of redeeming the land. If someone lost their property, a near relative could come and buy the land back for them. And folks, after the rapture of the church begins the tribulation period at some point, and after the beginning Jesus begins to open the seals to the deed of purchase for the property of the earth, and every time He opens a seal something happens on the earth, and the earth goes through this transformation, and by the end of the tribulation period it's all new. And redeemed and refreshed. And it's going to be pretty cool. Has he made us alive spiritually? Yes. By his wounds we have been healed spiritually. He died for our sins. And to make us righteous. And that's why Peter says, quoting verses 5 and 6 from Isaiah 53. By his stripes we're healed, tied to us being made righteous. And we've all returned to the overseer of our what? Of our souls go to revelation 21 After the millennial kingdom there's going to be this period called the new heaven and the new earth what we call the eternal state and here in revelation 21 look at verses 3 and 4 you see the description of the new heaven and the new earth and John says and I heard a loud voice from and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. By the way, don't you realize that in the millennial kingdom, there's still going to be death? There's still going to be sin. That's why Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron. That's why the scripture prophecies say that if someone only dies at 100 years old, they'll be considered an infant, but they'll also be understood that they're a sinner. The Bible is very clear that there's still going to be sin in the millennial kingdom. Those of us who have our redeemed bodies won't be under that curse anymore and we'll be ruling and reigning with Christ. But there'll still be humans on the earth who are still sinners and they're going to be making babies that are still sinners. But at the end of the millennial kingdom, when Satan's released from the pit, we move into the eternal state where there'll be no more crying, no more death, no more pain. But well, when is that going to happen? When we get to the eternal state. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, please don't hear me say that God doesn't want to heal you. He may choose to. And there's nothing wrong with asking. Just don't go down the road of thinking that he has to do it. Because Jesus died on the cross. That's not what his death was for. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verses 7 through 11. But we have this treasure, Christ in us, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Doesn't sound like physical healing to me. Given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Keep reading. Jump down to verse 16. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this momentary, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You want proof that the things that are seen are transient? I shared with you at the beginning of our study how God miraculously healed my back. And, but that was nine years ago. Guess who's going through back trouble again? I thank him for that healing. He had a reason and a purpose. And I still to this day don't fully understand it. I'm grateful. But he's doing stuff beyond what I understand sometimes. But it was transient. And I'm dealing with it again. And he's got another reason and a different purpose at this time why he hasn't done it, at least not yet. And I will keep serving him. Oh, by the way, do I ask him every day? Look, if you would like to remove the pain, I'm good with that. But until then, I take my medicine. I go to the physical therapist. I do what I'm supposed to do. Why? Because the scripture says that God has his reasons and his purposes. And when we because we know that Jesus has made us right with God and that we're at peace with God, When we live in the spirit and not in the flesh, and we focus on what is eternal and not what is seen, the glory of God can be seen through how we respond to the fact that he doesn't heal us. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to see this. We're going to start in verse 32, but in Hebrews 11, we have what we call the hall of fame of faith. The men and women of faith that Jesus was using to uh, describe to the Jews how what faith really looks like. And the Hebrew writer goes on and says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, Enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of the lions. This is the kind of preaching I want to hear. Uh, They, they, sorry, they, they quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. By the way, that's the kind of preaching that's going to fill your church up right here, buddy. The women received back their dead by resurrection. Isn't that awesome? Some were, wait a minute, tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. You know, I actually had a man come to me. And he said to me, my wife had cancer and the only reason she died is because she wouldn't accept her release. He took this passage right here and he said, Jesus died for her sins and he by his stripes, she would have been healed. But she wouldn't accept her release. And that's why she died. Isn't that sad? Totally taking this out of context. These people refused to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. What does the next one say? They were what? Killed what? with what? Wait a minute. Go to verse 34. Some quenched the power of fire and escaped the edge of the sword. Others were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, the ones who were healed and the ones that weren't, the ones who had the miraculous and the ones that didn't have the miraculous, all these, though commended through their faith, didn't receive what was promised. It says that's still to come since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Did you see it? By the way, do you know that in one instance, Peter—sorry, uh, Paul was stoned and left for dead outside the city? But in another instance, when they're trying to kill him, he was snuck out of a basket in the wall. Which is it? Exactly. In one instance, he's in a, about to be beaten and he says he allowed to beat a Roman citizen and they whoa. But in another instance, he let them beat him. Folks, avoid the danger of trying to see the scriptures as a way to figure God out so we can just make the right call, say the right things, pray the right prayer, and we get to God make God dance for us. He's bigger than that. But don't get fatalistic and say, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. And I guess, no, no. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. And sometimes healing is tied to our faith. But sometimes we can have all the faith we want. And God still says no. The more you understand the whole of Scripture, the easier it will be for you to walk with Him and to trust Him. So what was Matthew saying then when he said Jesus' healing people was to fulfill Isaiah 53. He was referring to Jesus' ultimate fulfillment of that passage in the atonement where Jesus bore all of our sickness, sorrow, and grief because of sin. And His healing and His casting out of demons showed His power over Satan and His concern for our predicament. But it was pointing to what? What He was going to do at the cross and His power and His concern. But as we've seen from the scriptures, what His death on the cross did for us in this life has made us reconciled to God. Has given us righteousness. When are we going to experience what his death on the cross does for our bodies and for the earth and all that? After. After. Yes, he died so that we wouldn't be sick anymore. But the scripture doesn't say that that's going to happen here. Spiritually sick, but it also the physical will be covered by that as well. As the scripture says in 1 Corinthians, that the last enemy to be defeated is what? Death. But not yet. We don't have to be spiritually sick here. Anymore. We don't have to be spiritually sick anymore on this life. Now, look at the next passage. Go back to Matthew eight, and we'll close with this. This shows you that God doesn't promise that if you're a Christian, it'll be a yellow brick road all the way to heaven. Look at the next passage, and just tell me what your headings say. Or we're going to come back? Not next week. I'll be in, in Virginia, so the week after when we meet back in here, verse uh, right before verse 18. What do your headings say? The cost of following Jesus. You see it? The demands of discipleship. That's good. Yep. Hey, as you're about to see, he's not promised that in this life everything's going to be easy. But he's promised if you trust him and you believe that he has great purposes and that he's powerful and you walk with him one day. Well, I think Paul put it this way. I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. Are you willing to keep going? Are you willing to trust Him? Or has this trial come to prove that your faith is not genuine? I love you. See you in two weeks. Thanks for coming.